0: you hurting and broken within by the weight of sin Jesus is calling Hey, this is Lee Snow, the preacher for the Warm Springs Road Church of Christ here in Columbus, Georgia. And you have found our podcast. We hope that this message inspires you, that it equips you, and that it builds your faith in Jesus Christ like never before. If you have any questions or you want to tell us your story, we'd love to hear from you. Please feel free to reach out at any time. We are here for you. We're here for each other. Most importantly, we're here for the Lord. So uh, I hope you enjoyed those. Uh, I spent uh, an exuberant amount of time watching TikTok this week trying to find the best epic sports fails that I possibly could. Anyways, have you ever had that that one person who, um, who thinks that they've come up with the best answer to God, the best argument against Christianity or the best argument against the God of the Bible that you could ever come up with and that there is no answer to what I'm about to say. And then the thing that they say, it just kind of falls flat. Uh, that's kind of what we're going to talk about in this video. We're going to talk about the Epicurean paradox or Epicurean riddle. The first person that came up with it was the man Epicurus. And actually, what happened was he was born somewhere around 380 BC, and he started teaching and and spreading the the word about his his new philosophy that he had come up with. And eventually, he came up with this this concept called Epicureanism. There are Epicureans that live today. In fact, the, the the repercussions of the philosophy really come in play a lot today. And they're actually getting to be more popular with the minimalistic movement that you might see on social media or so forth. That's kind of Epicureanism. You see, what it was, was Epicurus was a hedonist. And what hedonism is, is the search for pleasure is the purpose of life and mankind and so forth. But Epicurus was actually a negative hedonist. And so essentially what his philosophy would say is because when you have money or fame or a lot of things, if you lose those things, you actually suffer loss and you suffer grief. And so there's a lot of people today that are suffering grief for one reason or another, maybe they lost their jobs and now they don't, have the way to, to make ends meet or something like that. And they suffer grief. And, and what Epicurus would say is that is a negative. And so even though you were pleasurable in the past now, because you've lost that, that's actually, that's actually a negative. And so what Epicureans do is they push for minimalism. They push for reaching pleasure by having less things, because the idea is, if I have less things, then I'll suffer less grief when I lose those things. And so everything's going to be okay. And that is Epicureanism or negative hedonism. In fact, it was so popular that by the fifth century, there were an estimated 400,000 Epicureans living in communes all over the world. In fact, did you know that Karl Marx actually had his doctoral thesis on Epicureanism because the foundation of communism is Epicureanism. Anyways, beside the point, we're not trying to get political here. But by the 5th century, there were so many Epicureans and so many Epicurean communes that the Catholic Church actually took them and made them into monasteries. But Epicureanism. Okay, so Epicurus came up with this paradox about God. And essentially what it says is this, is God willing to prevent evil, but can't, then God is not omnipotent. Is God able to prevent evil, but won't, then God is not good. Is God able and willing? Then where did evil come from? And finally, is God neither able nor willing? Then why call it God? So what we're going to do in today's video is we're actually going to talk about the Epicurean paradox. And you might see that I've actually been making one of the write ups for my Instagram, uh, on this topic. And so I just want to sit down and talk with you about it because there's a lot of people that will use this paradox to try to answer the questions about God. And they'll actually try to attack the God of the Bible using this paradox. And they think it's a home run when in actuality it's, it's really kind of an Epic fail. Let's just dive into it. All right, so this question, this paradox, really comes down to three different questions. Number one, does God know that evil exists? Number two, does God care that evil exists? And number three, can God do anything to prevent or stop evil? And so that's really where we're going to start, those three questions. Question number one, does God know that evil exists? Now, before we start, we need to point out the fact that We're going to assume a a couple things, okay? I know that there might be some people that are watching this video that you may not believe in God. You may actually think that the Epicurean Paradox really answers the question of God. But in all reality, the Paradox doesn't talk about the existence of God. What it does is it calls into question the nature and character of God. So since we're going to assume that God does exist... Then we're going to go forward and we're going to see, is the God of the Bible worth listening to based on the Epicurean paradox? Okay, so I'm going to use Bible verses in this video, and I hope you'll allow me to do that because the fact is I'm trying to tell you about the God of this book. And so if I'm going to try to tell you about the God of this book, I need to use this book to talk about his character. Again, we're not talking about the existence of God in itself. We're talking about the character of God. And I believe that the God of the Bible answers the Epicurean paradox better than any other God, because the fact of the matter is, is I believe that the God of the Bible is the only one that actually truly really exists. And he is completely understandable when it comes to this paradox and completely incomprehensible when it comes to his full nature. But he has given us enough that tell us about him so that we can see whether or not this paradox holds any weight. So let's dive in. Question number one, does God know that evil exists? So we're assuming that God exists, and we're assuming that evil exists, and both of which are evident. In fact, the second of which is very evident. We're in the middle of a pandemic because evil exists. There is pain and suffering in this world. Now, we'll talk about the difference between moral evil and natural evil when we get toward the end of the video. But at the very beginning, we're going to assume that evil in some sort of way exists. Okay. So question number one, does God know it? If God doesn't know that evil exists, then he cannot be omnipotent. If God doesn't know that evil exists, then there's one or two answers either. God doesn't care and he made the earth and he made creation and then he set it to go and he has not paid attention one bit to what has happened. Or he's so unintelligent that, that I believe he's not even worth following. If God can't look around and see that evil exists in this world, then he's not intelligent enough for me to pay attention to it. But in reality, this book talks all about the fact that God knows That evil exists and so there's really no point in there's no point in diving too deep into this question because the answer is resoundingly yes god does know that evil exists i mean the old testament and the new testament both point out the fact that's the reason why this book exists is because god knows that evil exists so with each question i'm actually going to talk about one verse that kind of summarizes the the bible's stance on that question okay so this verse is matthew chapter 10 verse number 30 it says this are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father but even the hairs of your head are all numbered so not only does god know that evil exists but he knows how many hairs are on your head he knows when a sparrow dies in the wilderness so God knows everything. When the Bible is asked that question, the answer is a resounding yes. God is omniscient. He knows everything. Question number two, does God care that evil exists? Okay, so now that we know that God knows that it's there, does he even care about it? And my answer is exactly the same as the first answer. If he didn't care, why would he have given us 31,102 verses in the King James Bible? If he didn't care, why would the Old Testament exist when time after time after time, God stepped in to save the Israelite people to keep them alive when evil presented itself? In the New Testament, John 3.16, the most popular verse in probably the entire Bible, God cared about sin so much that he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for your sins and for my sins. Now, if God doesn't care that evil exists, he is not all loving. But 1 John 4, verse 8, actually says that God is the the source of love. In fact, it says this, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is Love. Love equals God. God equals love. Without God, there is no sense of love. And without love, there is no sense of God. So question number one, does God know that evil exists? Yes. Question number two, does God care that evil exists? Yes. So here's the real question. If God knows that evil exists and God cares that evil exists, does he have within his power the ability to stop evil. If not, he's not all powerful. And Christians claim to follow a God that is all knowing, all loving, and all powerful. And if he can't stop sin, if he can't stop evil, then he's not all powerful. And I'm going to venture to say, not only is he not worth following, not worth paying attention to, if God can't stop evil, he's no different than you or me. He's the same status as us. He's in the middle of a pandemic looking out and saying, well, I know that evil exists. I know pain and suffering exist. I care. I wish I could do something. This morning I dropped off a box of snacks, something little that we could do to try to show the first responders and nurses at a local hospital that we actually care and that we're praying for them. So just something little because no one really knows what to do right now. If you're in quarantine or you're just now getting back to where you can start going to work again and those sorts of things, you don't know how you can help. We've been sitting in our houses for months at this point, not knowing what to do. We've all been watching the news and paying attention to the doctors and the scientists and the government officials and hoping that they know what to do. But, You and I don't know what to do. I'm a preacher. I'm not a scientist. I can't help you with a coronavirus. I can help you with the Bible. I can help you with sin. I can help you with that problem. But I have no idea how to be an epidemiologist, right? So if God can't stop evil, if he can't stop suffering, then he's no different than you or me. But Matthew 19, verse 26 says this. But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So not only is God all knowing, not only is God all loving, but God is all powerful. He has within his ability, the power to stop all evil. So then the question comes up, why doesn't he if he if he knows about it and he cares about it and he can stop it why doesn't he stop it you see you and i if we have the knowledge of something that is happening that is wrong we have the obligation to fix that in some way that's part of the life of a christian is when there is suffering and we have within our ability the power to fix that then then we're going to do that. But why doesn't God in that case? Well, the answer really comes down to the two different types of evil. I mentioned earlier, you have natural evil and you have moral evil. Now, natural evil is the byproduct of nature breaking down. Okay, so the reason why there's a pandemic, the reason why there's hurricanes or earthquakes or so forth, that's all natural evil. But where did it come from? Why is evil breaking down? Well, Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, is talking about the fall of man, and when God put them into the garden, he gave them one law, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Genesis two seventeen says this, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. You see the reason why natural evil exists is because in the beginning there was no natural evil. There was no death, there were no pandemics, there was no earthquakes or hurricanes or volcanoes or tornadoes or anything else. It was perfect. They lived in the garden in perfectness. The problem is that this idea of moral evil came up. You see the reason why natural evil exists is because moral evil Exist And moral evil is what you and I do. Moral evil are the evil actions done by man. So the reason why natural evil exists, at least when you ask the Bible, and that's what we're doing in this video, right? We're not trying to pay attention to other philosophies and other things like that. I'm trying to talk about what the Bible says about this. When the Bible is asked, why does natural evil exist? The answer is because moral evil exists. So now we need to figure out why does moral evil exist, and why doesn't God stop it? Since all natural evil comes from moral evil, why doesn't God just put an end to moral evil? And the answer is two words, free will. i want to read you three Bible verses about free will. Now, these all come from our free will as Christians to step away from God. And the reason why I wanted to point those out is because when you and I have become Christians, when we've accepted Jesus Christ through baptism for the forgiveness of our sins, and we've repented of our sins and we've become part of the family of God, we still have the free will to lay that aside to act and live and believe the way that we want to outside of what the scriptures have told us, outside of what God has told us. So I want to read three verses that talk about my free will. In Christ. Are you ready? Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So you and I have the free will to not only have freedom in Christ, but once we're in Christ, we have the free will to then start using our freedoms for an opportunity of the flesh, therefore. Negating our salvation. We have the ability to choose whether or not we're going to stay a Christian. Number two, 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, the reason why we repent is because we have the free will to make that decision. You see, there are some people that would say that God causes you to repent or forces you to repent. But let me ask you a question. Those of you who have kids, have you ever told your kids to apologize and then they walk over and they say, I'm sorry, and that's it. And they, they, you know, good and well that that kid is not sorry for what he just did because he has the free will to be sorry or not and you can't make him be sorry. So we have the free will to lay down our freedoms. We have the free will to lay down our faithfulness. We have the free will to repent as well. Number three, Revelation 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. We have the free will to not only remain faithful and be in our freedom, We have the free will to repent of our sins. We also have the free will of accepting Jesus. When Jesus is there and he's waiting, Revelation 3 is written to Christians now. But when when he's standing at the door and knocking at the door of our heart, we have the free will to accept him as Christians. Are we going to, like Galatians said, lay down our faith for an opportunity for the flesh? Or are we going to actively repent when time comes? You see, if a Christian has free will, then a person who is not a Christian also has free will. So the Bible says that we have the ability to choose right and wrong. Now, if that's the case and free will exists, then again, why doesn't God stop us from doing what is wrong? Why doesn't God remove our free will in this instance or that instance? And really, it comes down to this. You know, goodness is defined by God. Psalm 25, verse 8 says, good and upright is the Lord. Galatians 5, 22, in the fruit of the spirit or the way that a faithful Christian lives, he says that one of the, the byproducts of a faithful Christian life, Of being led by the Spirit, which means being led by the Bible, is to be good. You see, if God is all good, then He defines what is good and what is not. And that means that if God sets the parameters of what is good, then He also, by implication, sets the parameters of what is bad, what is evil. So if God were to force someone to follow, Him. That would be negating his free will. Well, the only option when you have someone that is acting in an evil manner, if God is going to make him stop that evil, that means that God is going to make him follow him. Because since God defines evil and good, then when God makes someone stop evil, he's making them do good. And if doing good is following God Galatians 5:22 then he's making that person follow him. And the reason why God gave you and me free will is so that we could choose to follow him, not so that he'd make us follow him. You can't you can't show real love if you're being made to show real love. It, the Bible doesn't talk about a God that that is making you follow him like some kind of Stockholm syndrome God. No, God gives you the free will. He sets the decision in front of you. And it's your decision and my decision if we'll follow him. And that means that he can't, he can't make you stop doing evil. He created within you the ability to choose. He gave you the means by which you can know right from wrong. And he put within you the the general understanding of what is right and wrong. That's called morals or ethics. But in all actuality, he gave you the right way to live. The reason why God doesn't stop evil, even though he could, is because in order to do that, he has to make creation, he has to make you and me the pinnacle of creation. Follow him. And that's not why he created us. See, he created us to love him, to fear him, to respect him, and to follow him. And that means that the reason why pandemics exist is because of moral evil. The reason why moral evil exists is because God had to give us the free will so that we would follow him, so that we have the ability to follow him. Now, does this pandemic come from a moral evil act of some person? I don't know. Okay? But I can tell you this. The reason why pandemics exist, the reason why any natural evil exists is the byproduct, the the repercussions of the decisions made by Adam and Eve long ago in the garden. And you and I sometimes pay the consequences for other people's sins. If I'm driving home this afternoon from my office and I'm hit by a drunk driver, well, I'm paying the consequences of someone else's evil act. My children and my wife are paying the consequences of someone else's evil act. That happens all the time. And when we face natural evil, we're paying the consequences of those original sins that Adam and Eve did in the garden when they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, I'll leave you with this. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 22. The Bible says, now I'm reading Christian Standard Bible here. Stay away from every form of evil, every kind of evil. Why does the Bible tell you and me to stay away from every kind of evil? Because you and I have the free will to, to take on that evil. And if we're putting ourselves into the position Where we're close to evil, 1 Corinthians 15.33 says that that companionship, that, that closeness to evil will corrupt our morals, our free will. The reason why God doesn't stop evil is because he gave you and me free will to do evil and to do good. And he can't stop someone from doing evil unless you want him to force you to follow him. And force me to follow him, and force everyone else to follow him. Now you might say, well, why can't God break the free will of this person in this instance? And the one that everyone always talks about is uh, is Hitler. Why can't God negate Hitler's free will before World War II so that the Holocaust doesn't happen? Well, again. I know I know it's not a fun thing to think about. But the fact is that there are evil people in this world. There are people who have decided to turn their free will into nothing more than searching for their own pleasures, their own desire, and what makes them happy. And sometimes a crazy person finds out that the things that make them happy or world domination and the pain and suffering of millions of people, but God can't force them not to, because in doing so He's forcing them to follow Him. And the Bible says that God gives you the free will to follow Him or not. So let's pray, Father. We pray that You'll help us to use our free will to glorify You. We pray that You'll help us to to follow You, to use Your providence and use the ways that You work in this world to to bring us closer to you and allow us to make the decision whether or not we'll follow you. We pray that we'll always make the right decision, that we'll always follow you. But Lord, I know that there are a lot of people out there today that are suffering. And I pray that you will help us to to find ways in which we can do what is within our power to alleviate some of that suffering, because I know that you have done everything within your power to eliminate that suffering as well. We thank you, pray that you will be with us and keep us safe and bring us through this time as quickly as possible. In Christ's name, amen.